the Forward Together podcast from Hollywood Trust with Paul Gosling and Jared Dean. Welcome to the Forward Together podcast. My name is Jared Dean and I'm joined by Paul Gosling. Paul, great to see you. And you, Jared. Forward Together podcast is a new undertaking produced by Hollywell Trust. And for those of you listening who may not know, Hollywell Trust is a community relations focused organisation based at the heart of Derry, London, Derry. And our objective with this new podcast is to promote a wider and more inclusive and engaged conversation about how we make progress and further solidify peace and create a genuinely shared and integrated society here. And we want the discussion to be mutually respectful, to be forward-focused and positive. And we want to consider the real challenges our society faces in the coming years and be practical practical and honest about how to address these. So, Paul, the format for this uh, podcast is really simple. You have had a chat with over 30 people at this stage, politicians and community leaders. Um, Tell us a wee bit about those interviews that you've had so far. Yeah, we've uh, been able to secure interviews with some of the most uh, senior community, influential community and political leaders. Uh, Very grateful for those. We focus really on four questions. How do we strengthen civic society here? How do we create a more shared and integrated society? How do we deal with the past while promoting reconciliation? And how do we have the constitutional conversation in ways that are positive, respectful, and not damaging or threatening? So the big questions. And we've been fortunate or we're happy to have partnered with a a number of different organisations in the promotion of this podcast too. That's right. Uh, Sluggery Tool is our main partner. And uh, we also have cooperation from Hive Studio at the Rathmore Centre in Derry and Drive 105 radio station. We also have a release schedule of two per week, uh, starting on the 19th of April, which is Good Friday, 21 years on from the signing of the Good Friday Agreement. Um, And you can subscribe to this podcast through your usual podcast app, or you can access the podcast through Hollywell Trust's own website, hollywelltrust.com, the Slugger Tool website, sluggerotool.com, or through the Hive Studio website of hivestudio.org. So, Paul, we also see this as a bigger conversation. We see these conversations leading to something else. Well, we want to be influential. We mm. want to help. I mean, basically, Northern Ireland is stuck in a quagmire of non-progress, partly about Brexit, but about lots of other things, the big issues, the big challenges. And, you know, we're, we're ambitious. We want to make an influence. And that's why people have opened themselves up to have these very honest conversations with us and a number of really interesting ideas and thoughts from really significant players in terms of Northern Ireland society. Our first then, uh, we're kicking it off with Bishop Ken Good. Bishop Good talks about a number of things. He talks about the challenge of working towards a common good, talks about a political system isn't working and then therefore the importance of a, a civic voice or civic society leading in a way that politicians can. What a, what other points as he touched on well for good friday broadcast i think one of the big messages that he's saying for christianity forgiveness is at the heart of the religion mm. and i think that's something that needs to be listened to he also suggested perhaps rather controversially that uh, politicians should talk less and be listened to less mm. and also that uh, we should acknowledge the progress that has already been made in northern ireland with around 500 deaths in 1972. And, you know, we need to think about how much progress has been made and to build on that progress. Okay, let's hear that interview with Bishop Ken Good, who is the Church of Ireland Bishop for the cross-border diocese of Derry and Raffle. Well, presumably the reason you're talking to me is because you want to know something about a church's viewpoint. And I speak as a a church leader, as a Christian, and that will obviously colour what I say and, and how I see things. 
So if you're asking the question about progress, um, one of the dilemmas is that progress might not be universally agreed as to what it is. You know, one person's progress might be another person's retrograde step. And so I would rather frame it as progress being what is building the common good and working for the common good. That seems to me to, to be what, what you're describing and clarifies it a little bit. My grandmother, bless her, her name was Beryl. When we were children and growing up, my brother and I were about very close in age. And if we were to share anything, she had this little pattern of one cuts, the other chooses. Right? So that when you were, had to share a piece of cake or share a bar of chocolate, one of us had the task of cutting it. The other could choose whichever part they wanted um, as their desired piece. Now, what that did in a kind of Solomon-like wisdom was uh, implement what I think Christians understand as the golden rule, that we do unto others what we wish they would do unto us, right? And that is the common good, right? So I, I see all this in, in that kind of framework. So the common good, what is the common good that we're looking for? Uh, it is simple things like, what do we want for our children? What do we want for our parents? Uh, what do we want for our friends? What do we want for ourselves? But all of that means, what do we want for our neighbor's children? What do we want for our neighbor's parents? What do we want for our neighbor's friends uh, for the common good? And that's what I understand as you, that's the question you're posing. So then I think what we want for the common good is Big things like a health service that really works for everybody, an education system that works for everybody, jobs that are available for everybody, housing uh, that is fair for everybody, and that dignity and a feeling of belonging is open to everybody. Right? So it seems self-evident to me that those are the kind of things that we are working for if we're working for the common good. And I, and I do believe that the golden rule is an important part of this as Christians, that we're not only interested in our tribe, our people, we're interested in all, and that that must be part of uh, civic society working for the common good. At the moment, a situation where the political system isn't working. Mm -hmm. So the question is, how can these objectives be argued for when we don't have a political system that's working. Okay. Well, there's some practical things. I mean, obviously the bigger things we need are, we need economic improvement, we need Brexit to be sorted out, uh, we need the institutions at Stormont to be up and running, but you're, you're dealing probably at a slightly different level than that. And you mentioned the Civic Forum earlier. Mm. I think we could do well with having that up and running again, even though it's provisional that the... the the institutions are there first. But I became bishop here in Derry in 2002. Now that's 17 years ago and I'm about to retire. And 2002, I think, was the last time the Civic Forum met. Mm. met. So that's long overdue and it could have been, and maybe still could be, a broad-based consultative body that is not dependent on politicians. The second thing, I think, is that I think civic society can give a lead in a way that politicians can't, uh, or at least don't, uh, by setting an example of bridge building at low key levels. Um, because I think we do understand the value of partnerships. 
we do understand the need to reach out and we're not under the same pressure as politicians in public forums are and I think civic society can give a lead in those ways and I, and I hope we are. Um, if it's not uh, too rude to say it, I think I would like to see our politicians speaking less uh, or at least to be reported less and for civic forum people to be speaking more or to be quoted more or to be asked more. Um, and I'm aware that the churches, our reputation and our standing may have diminished somewhat. But if you can focus on the message rather than the messenger, I think the churches still can have important things to say um, about building a society for the common good. Um, so in those practical ways, I think there is hope. And I think it's happening in, in low key ways. You know, just because the media doesn't talk about it doesn't mean it's not happening. And when you say we should be listening to political voices less, I mean, are you thinking, for example, of the style that Stephen Nolan's shows do and that the, the, the political context of that, which is, tends to be confrontational, is unhelpful? Yeah, I think the adversarial way in which these things are set up is counterproductive. It has to be adversarial for his, or, and I won't personalize it, but for those kinds of shows to work. There has to be kind of cut and thrust and I'm against you and I'm strongly against you. Uh, no consensus is possible in the adversarial format that's, that's devised. So um, that's not the way forward for me. And how do you think we should move forward in terms of creating a more shared and integrated society? Well, um, this city, as you know, is historically one of the sadly divided places. The population shift is all too well documented and we're dealing with that all the time. But having said that, I think we need to acknowledge that progress has been made. Um, if you think back to the Belfast Agreement, the Good Friday Agreement, you know, since those days, the situation has improved, you know, and we just need to acknowledge that. I was just reflecting over the weekend about knife crime in the UK. Now, it rightly has got huge media coverage, and appropriately, and it's, it's right that it has. But if you, if you look at the scale of it, there were, I think, 285 knife crime deaths in the last year in the United Kingdom out of a population of 58 million. In Northern Ireland in 1972, out of a population of one and a half million, there were almost 500 deaths, right? So that's something about the scale. Now, the media attention and focus in, on the knife crime issue, it's appropriate, it's necessary, and it's important, but it shows how far we have come from 500 deaths in a year um, to so many fewer now. And I think that there's, there's good news as well as bad news that needs to be emphasized. But as far as integration goes, you asked the direct question, I think there are several things that can happen. Um, Martin Luther King, uh, as we know, he, I think he said, I'm convinced that men hate each other, it was men he, he mentioned, hate each other because they fear each other, they fear each other because they don't know each other, and they don't know each other because they don't communicate with each other, and they don't communicate with each other because they are separated from each other, right? So there is something about our separated way of living that is unhealthy. And we see it in the city here in a, in a focused kind of way. 
So, what can be done? I think the churches have a role. Um, they, we do have a role, and I think we are playing it. It may be not getting much media attention, but we are involved in building bridges. We are involved in breaking down barriers. I think the churches work quite closely here uh, in the city. Um, my friendship with Bishop Donald McKeown, it's interesting how people respond to it. They, they find it refreshing. They find it gives encouragement. It comes easily. It's a natural kind of thing for us. Um, we try to do it visibly, to be seen, to be friends, which we are, and we have a lot in common. And I think at, a, at many levels that's happening. Uh, the media aren't f focusing on it, and I don't think they need to, but it's, we're just getting on with it. And churches do relate well in the city now. Secondly, uh, I think prophetic signs and symbols are important. By that, I mean actions or gestures can capture people's imagination uh, in, in low-key kind of ways. And I think churches are doing this, civic society is doing it, just little signs that people can relate in a, an open, friendly, natural way with people of a different background and a different tradition. And I think there should be more of those. Um, they are risky sometimes, not always, um, but they are happening and we need to, to see more of them. Uh, schools is obviously the question that comes to mind and and. I think it is important that schools are not monocultural. Um, I do also feel, however, that to talk about the magic bullet of educate them together and everything will be fine is too simplistic. It's too simplistic from where we're coming from and to where we're going to. Um, but there does need to be more shared education more integrated education. And integrated education doesn't only mean integrated schools. You know, I think a lot of our schools are quite integrated, um, but there does need to be more mixing and sharing of campuses and classes and teachers and subjects. And that is happening. And there's quite a big budget for it in the department now for that kind of thing. And I'm fully behind it and backing it. I think integration um, comes down to planning as well. The planners, what plans do they have in mind for our towns, cities and communities uh, for sharing? Um, what are they envisaging? Do they have, a, you know, is it, is it a, a political decision to integrate people or does it have to be a voluntary one that comes from individuals? Or can there be incentives? Um, I think that's an interesting question. When intimidation does happen, as Sadly, it still does. How the police deal with it, how the courts deal with it is important. Promptly, swiftly, fairly, and sometimes maybe discreetly. But what it all boils down to ultimately is our hearts, I think. And this is where, if I can bring it back to a Christian framework, I think there's a spiritual element in all of this. Um, loving our neighbour, forgiveness apology, uh, step of faith, courage. These are spiritual language that we deal with all the time. Changed hearts, uh, repentance. You know, this is language that I think is 
has something to say to civic society generally. The churches need to be more uh, proactive in dealing with it and exhibiting it. Um, I think forgiveness is crucial in all of this. Um, and we'll move to that in a moment because we're going to be talking about the past. But before we move on to that, you mentioned the point that Martin Luther King said about the separation of people. And several people that I've spoken to have said that for them, the important issue is for people to see a shared experience rather than to see separate experiences which are actually often quite similar. I mean, do you think that's a, a strong point? Yeah, it is a strong point. You know, I've met with groups of older people, senior citizens, who grew up in the same city, but they tell a completely different story of, of what it was like to grow up and, and uh, for the other tradition to hear their story is just an, op an eye-opening insight, you know. So I think it was Mary McAleese who said that we have a shared history, but we don't have a shared memory. Mm. And I think that's a pretty powerful analysis of, of what's going on. We don't have a shared memory yet. And in terms of talking about the past, how, how can we have the conversation about the past in ways that enable us to make progress for the future? And to what extent can we achieve reconciliation? I've seen it happen in churches. You know, the groups of people from different churches or different traditions have met and have talked about their childhood. They've talked about their teenage years. They've talked about growing up and how they understood the other. Um, and that is happening, maybe not as much as it could or as much as it should. And it shouldn't only be churches that are doing this. Um, lots of voluntary groups or civic groups could be doing it, and maybe are, um, but it is quite powerful. I've sat in them and, see, and listened to it and heard it. And, and you've spoken to me before about, as you did just now, about the concept of forgiveness. And you've said that for a Christian society in Northern Ireland, mm -hmm. it's surprising how little forgiveness there is. I mean, how do you think that concept of forgiveness can be promoted? Mm. It's, it's very difficult for me to talk about this because I've never lost a family member to violence. I grew up in Cork, um, and so I'm an outsider to that extent and so I have to tread softly and carefully here and um, because people who have at first hand confronted uh, the death of a loved one through violence it's holy ground and I don't want to be kind of preaching at them or above above them in any judgmental kind of way and make their suffering worse but I have I've also traveled to Africa and seen um, in Uganda in particular where there was huge tribal conflict and mass murder, how there seems to be a capacity to forgive uh, in a way that there isn't as much here. Now, there is forgiveness here too, but not as much as, there, as I've seen elsewhere. My archdeacon, one of my archdeacons, Robert Miller, has written with Father Paul Farron a book called uh, Forgiveness Remembers. And they're saying that forgiveness isn't about forgetting. You don't forget, and you shouldn't have to forget. You remember, but somehow forgiveness is liberating. Unforgiveness is the opposite. It can be ensnaring, and it can hold the person who is not able to forgive. It can hold them down more than it holds the person down who they are feeling a grudge against. Now, again, these are big spiritual themes, um, and I'm not preaching at anybody when I say this. But I think it is something that as Christian churches we have to confront more robustly. 
And perhaps it involves us talking more openly about the past, because as my understanding about psychotherapy is that if you're going to deal with trauma of the past, you address it, you talk about it, you reveal your inner feelings. Yet somehow as a society, it's almost as if we're feeling it's better to repress that and not talk about it. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you know, the risks are that we inflame those emotions. I mean, what's your perspective on that? I agree, I agree entirely. It is much better to be open about it in a safe environment. Mm and in a non-adversarial environment, um, I think it is, we should never regard victims as the problem and blame them for a lack of progress. You know, they have suffered enough without having that added burden put upon them, which can sometimes happen. Um, They must be part of the solution and not just regarded as part of the problem and you know there's a real thirst for justice in their minds um we've seen that with bloody sunday we've seen it with claudie we've seen it with so many other serious episodes of violence where deep down people are longing for justice and they're it's a human right you know and how you match that with making progress and working through the past and our legacy is a really complex issue so much so that we haven't been able to to deal with it yet. And, and also, there's actually the word justice becomes very contentious because different communities mm. interpret the word as meaning different things. Do we mean criminal justice? Mm-hmm. Do we mean sense of repentance? Do we mean a just outcome in terms of equality in the way society operates today? Mm. I know. Now, it's 10 years, I think, since the consultative group in the past had their uh, report and findings. I know Dennis Bradley well, and I know Archbishop Eames uh, well, and I respect both of them greatly. And I think that was a very important piece of work, and we could do well to revisit it. Um, I know there was a lot of rumpus and fuss about the financial payments bit, which was a distraction really from the, the substance. And I wouldn't want to be prescriptive about it, but I think there, there's a lot in that report that needs to be dug into again. And um, when we do, I think we need to keep victims informed and involved, and it's not something separate from them. Um, yeah. Now, if dealing with the past is one contentious issue, the other big contentious issue is how we have the constitutional conversation in ways that don't inflame the situation. And as you said, you know, you've got a very interesting personal perspective because you represent a cross-border diocese, and you come from Cork in the south. And you said before how the Church of Ireland has a strong relationship with the the Republic. I mean, so what's your perspective on how we have a constitutional conversation in ways that can be open, friendly, progressive? Mm. I think the first requirement for the debate to take place openly is to have a complete end to violence. That needs to be removed from uh, the debate and the discussion. The whole discussion is coloured if violence is still an option or a weapon or a threat. Um, Now that sounds idealistic, but I think it's true. Secondly, I think if there were a restoration of the power sharing uh, institutions, uh, it would be much easier because a vacuum as well, history has shown it's counterproductive to have a vacuum there. Um, Thirdly, I think the tone needs to be set in which the debate can happen fairly and honestly and securely, you know. Um, Now, I think the political agreement that we have at the moment 
it's like a backstop, I think, for the discussions to happen. And they could, with these other three requirements that I've just outlined, um, I think the discussions could happen then more securely. But what is thrown into the mix now is Brexit. And <clears throat> the irony probably now is that the Union is a threat more because of Brexit and Scotland uh, than anything. And um, Scotland could well be the, one, the partner to break the Union at a time when we have no uh, government institutions up and running here in Northern Ireland. I know that's highly ironic, but that could be lead us into a whole new environment about what does the Union mean for Northern Ireland. Um, so we're in unknown and uncharted territories. And clearly the community organisations that work on a cross-community basis report back that community tensions have increased significantly because of Brexit with the concept that each community or each of the two major communities blames the other for the situation we're in. Yeah, yeah, that's our true to form. And there's going to have to be a post-Brexit uh, repairing of relationships. How should, how should that happen? Oh, I mean, not just here, but in the UK and in Europe and mm. everywhere. Whatever the outcome, there's a lot of stress has been put on relationships. How do we, how do, we do that? How do we address that? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea how we're going to address that, but we, we will need to. When we, see, we don't want to know what the outcome is going to be yet, you know. Um, but sooner or later, the politicians are going to have to hear, uh, work together and come together and lead together point a way through all of this. But perhaps, which returns us to the point that we started on, perhaps when the political institutions are not working and the politicians and major parties have such bad uh, relationships, perhaps we need to rebuild civic society to enable those conversations to happen. Yes, I hope, yes, I think we do. Uh, it'll always be at a lower level and it'll be less obvious, but it needs to just get on uh, on the ground in ways that people may not easily perceive. And I hope the churches are playing their part in this. You know, I, I am reminded of Seamus Heaney's poem, Double Take, in which he says, So hope for a great sea change on the far side of revenge. Believe that a further shore is reachable from here. Believe in miracles and cures and healing wells. And I think that's the kind of spiritual uh, dimension on which I would want to finish. You know, the... the we're dealing with not just human physical realities here. There's a spiritual reality as well that I'm, I keep being drawn back to and a bigger picture that we need to bear in mind. Bishop Kingwood, thank you very much indeed. Really interesting and insightful interview there, Paul, with Bishop Kingwood. Uh, what were the other main points that you took away from the conversation with him? The, the need to have a genuinely shared outlook. He stressed his friendship with Bishop Donald McHugh and the other Bishop of Derry from the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. And also that, uh, you know, what's, we, our objective has to be not simply to do better for our own community, but to do better for the whole community. And that's the way we make progress. That's it for our first Forward Together podcast. Thanks to Bishop Ken Good for taking the time to meet with us. Uh, keep a lookout for future episodes of the podcast and thanks for listening. The Community Relations Council for Northern Ireland supports this podcast through its media grant scheme and core funding programme.